Brown Rising, everyone. I like coming to live. Spirit and coffee. Got my coffee here. Mm -hmm. Very good. We shall see if Brandon remembers to go in. <laughs> if not, it's all good. Um, as we continue the journey of not an ordinary state of consciousness, that's what I'll continue to talk about. Although, I do have questions for Brandon on other things, such as politics, because, like I said, I don't understand it. Um, but it'd be nice to hear. And um, I guess I could do my research if I really wanted to know. But, you know, I do my research on other things, like spiritual alchemy, because that's what I do. Okay, anywho, um, talking about non-ordinary states of consciousness, and really there's a, a difference between science, right, science, and how science plays out, and what that means. So when we're looking at it, um, you know, there's these different ways that they break it down in terms of they think that it's a neural firing in the brain and that mind creates consciousness and complex um, particles coming together produce this byproduct of consciousness um, is one way to look at it. Um, but there's other people that say no, consciousness actually exists in particles themselves. And so how are we able to um, basically have consciousness and and understand how we can relate to the world around us. Pretty interesting topic. Now, it's not something you can measure. You can't measure consciousness. And this becomes the reason why um, science kind of discredits the parapsychology, which is, you know, our, our transpersonal psychology, um, because those experiences cannot be scientifically measured. And so there are things that happen, let's say, in your life where you can't describe them. And they're kind of like anomalies, right? And and because of that, it becomes hard to measure these experiences that happen. Um, and they're far and few between. And so because of that, it's like, well, we can't say for certain from a scientific perspective or understanding or way to measure life that this is going to work. And then it becomes really complex and really hard to do. Um, and so they discredit it completely. <clears throat> However, I did talk about a time where my, you know, this was the, the strangest thing that ever happened to me. Um, and I wouldn't say it was non-ordinary states, but I would say it was a paranormal activity, whatever, however you want to call it. I don't even know what to describe it under. Um, hey, Jason. So what happened, right, is I was, you know, washing dishes and, and my niece and my neighbor were sitting there and I've talked about this before, but again, describing how science doesn't really have a way to describe this right and i dropped a fork on the floor as i was washing dishes and so my niece obviously everybody heard it fall on the floor so they got up and my niece got up and she started to look for it so that she can you know give it back to me and after just a couple of seconds she sat down and i was like so i told her hey like you've got to continue looking for it you don't just and she goes, I did. I can't find it. And I'm like, what do you mean? Okay. So, you know, we have this long history of doing that, right? Even myself, like you look in a cabinet and you're like, I don't see it, but then somebody else does. So I said, fine. So I started looking for it. Gone. It was that I couldn't find it either. So 
then we thought, well, perhaps the fork fell under the refrigerator or it fell under something that we couldn't get to or, you know, it, it didn't make sense that it fell under something. Um, and we all looked and we couldn't find it. Okay. So fine. Then we actually remodeled our house and we remodeled the kitchen where the fork fell. Guess what? No fork ever showed up. We moved all the cabinets. We ripped out the floors, all of the everything and no fork. So it disappeared. Now, here's the strange thing. It disappeared. Hey, GP man, it disappeared in front of three people. Now, that's an anomaly that doesn't happen every single day and typically if something disappears like that in front of somebody's eyes it's usually only one witness there's usually not a lot of people witnessing these these things that happen right these paranormal things okay so but when that happened right it was interesting because all of us were like i'm like do you realize that there is no scientific understanding for what just happened it's almost like it got sucked into a vortex like how did this material thing that was solid disappear right before our eyes and nowhere to be found okay interesting right so those types of things cannot be explained by science but because they're so far and few between we are not able to measure them so they discredit them they they think that it's just it's it's not true it can't be true but it is because it does happen. Um, you know, people witnessing UFOs, all these paranormal activities and things that happen. And so the non-ordinary states of consciousness, um, parapsychology kind of goes into those things. It, it describes at least what's happening in, in those things. And so it's kind of cool because um, there was a quote that like, you can't say for certain. So science couldn't say for certain that all crows are black, right? Because if there's one white crow, that means that you can't say that statement is not true. It's not factual, um, even though it might be an anomaly. But how that anomaly shows up, they may not be able to describe it. They may not be able to say, well, we don't know why there's one white crow and then all the rest of them are black. But it happened. So again, we have these instances that happen in our life, right? Where And we don't talk about and we don't talk about them. Why? Because what happens when you do? You're crazy, right? You're crazy. There's no space or platform, really. I mean, I think they're starting to, but in science, they discredit it. Um, it's really hard. And you have a lot of these scientists who, um, some of them who believe in the paranormal, they believe in all of the non-ordinary states. They believe in spiritual alchemy, um, but they don't speak out in fear that, you know, they're going to look like a jack wagon and they're not going to be accepted by their peers um, any longer. And this happened, quite, you know, with Carl Jung when he was splitting apart because he was looking into other things. He was looking into the collective unconscious and talking about how our dreams and all that stuff and the archetypal patterning show up, which wasn't accepted because there wasn't any way to scientifically measure these things and so they start to look crazy but what happens is that we discredit human experience and so these non-ordinary states of consciousness um end up being discredited pretty much is what happens and they're like well 
um, you're crazy, that couldn't have happened, that's not factual, we can't measure it, and so let's just throw that out, and that's, that's really part of the human experience, though, and we see it throughout the ages, so we can go back into uh, where we have these tribes, and they would elicit non-ordinary states of consciousness by drumming, right? They would do drumming ceremonies and singing and dancing until they reached a state of, of non-ordinary state. We're going to call it non-ordinary states, right? And when they did, when they reached that space and place, they would come back when they actually came back to this three-dimensional time space, they had an experience, but they also had some new wisdom. They were carrying new information. Now, everybody who's ever had a uh, mark in history or any genius, if you will, will tell you that they're able to reach these states. There's no obstruction, say, in the force field. So part of the non-ordinary states is talking about how we have obstruction within our body or our minds that keep us from actually reaching these states. Okay. and what ends up happening if we're not able to reach these spaces is that we don't actually turn on our connection to some that greater energy that potentiality the uh, akashic record whatever you want to call it the ability to unite with the divine and to recognize and remember that you are an extension of the divine and then also getting information that you may not have understood so for instance you know, when we talk about these quote unquote scientific geniuses, they were actually, um, they would go into these places and then they would, it, they would say, well, the dream world, I, I heard it in a dream. I got it in a dream. Right. Or like, for instance, um, when we talk about Leonardo da Vinci, which was a cool dude, like honestly was you know, I mean, this guy, I don't know, he did more in his lifetime, I think, than most people will do in their lifetime. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, when you look at all the work that he did. But there is a story about him that he ended up going into a cave and disappearing for a while. And when he went in that cave, it changed him completely. So think about near-death experiences people that experience the these near-death experiences come back different something shifts within them and they have an experience that cannot be explained by science so it becomes a really hard topic to um, get merit with in the academic world because of uh the need to have empirical evidence the need to be able to measure it to be and that's the very scientific way to do things and it really split off and this is one of the biggest reasons i believe that um we have these issues you know the science is not talking to the religion now it is in some way we're starting to bridge the gap between because again science doesn't know how to describe what's happening um with you know quantum physics there's no words or language that they can describe what's going on so they go to the mystics and they say well what does what do the mystics say well the mystics have always said what's happening in quantum physics they already had the language they've been talking about it forever and so it's not something new it's not it's a rediscovery i'm not going to say we discovered it because we didn't 
It's always been there. We're just now waking up and remembering. Now we, right, can go to, hey, prophet, we can go to um, the, the Eastern part of the world and they have their books, right? The Bhagavad Gita, you know, um, and all their myth stories as they will. And if you start to look at it, it's really more of a scientific understanding of perhaps quantum physics or the spiritual. I think, you know, ancient times, they were still trying to describe what was happening in the spiritual world. They had the language. The language has always been there. We have just had amnesia. Um, and because science became the ultimate way and the ultimate truth, we have forgotten the language of spirituality. We have totally um, forgot what it means and we've lost the language, specifically in academia. They don't have language to, to communicate it. We still do, right? But there's this separation between the two when we're really looking to build maybe the golden bridge between the, that bridges the gap between the science and, you know, and the, and I don't want to say religion, but our spiritual um, grounding and understanding that it, it we don't have the language um, yet in this new age world. Okay. The new age world, but we are taking from the, the ancient to describe the current and we have to because we have no other way to describe what we are actually seeing in the world um and and it's beautiful that it's coming back in um however we still um i think we get it wrong um and part of it is the ouroboros uh which is a spiritual chemic uh symbol that's used it's the snake eating the tail which kind of talks about the story of maybe how um, we go into cycles, right? We go into cycles, we, we, we die, we, we're reborn, we die, we're reborn, and it's a cycle over and over and over and over and over again. But they're using this particular symbol to describe cosmology. They're taking the cosmological storyline and narrative and they're putting it into an alchemic um, symbol because they need the symbols to describe and they're like, well, what can we pull from that would help us to make sense of this? Now, we as humans um, don't have the whole story, don't know the whole story. And so we tend to um, create things, I believe, very incorrectly. It's really hard. That's why I say don't follow man, you know, follow God, follow the God within, you know, the righteous um, God within that's going to guide you in a direction that's fruitful and meaningful and doesn't do harm. Because the way that they're using these symbols, when whenever the symbols are actually played out, let's say, for instance, we have a symbol and then somehow we are acting on that symbol. We, we act. There's some forward motion. We start to play out through symbols. And when you have it incorrect, it comes out very, very distorted. And if it's way off, then we totally miss the mark we totally are off completely and we've done that for ages some of the symbols that we have um used to construct even society today incorrect 
I would say they're incorrect. And, and they're missing a lot of pieces that would make them whole, which is why we're sort of transitioning into the paradigm or to the, the state of, um, or we're transitioning worldviews into holism because we recognize that there's pieces missing. There are pieces missing from the equation. Now, these new symbols that they're, they're using, like the Ouroboros, I don't even know if I say that, I'm saying that correctly, but that particular symbol, um, when we are putting us at the center of all complex uh, matter, which I think is an incorrect way to do it because that becomes very egocentric. And I believe that humans think that we are the center of everything and we try to put ourselves there. Now, and, and I don't believe that. I don't think that's a good place to put us because when we say we're central to all, we think we have dominion over everything. We don't have dominion over anything. We're, we're working in um, respect with, right? We don't have dominion over the wind or, you know, the rain or dominion over the ants or the, the bees. No, we're working in tandem with them. They're part of our system. And, and we all depend on each other in some way, but our human mind, right? Um, rather than expanding our human mind, it's like we're trapped in a narrative that's toxic to us. That toxicity, it puts us at the center of everything. It makes us egocentric. Now, ego is not a bad thing, but what it does when the ego takes over and we think that we're the center of everything, it causes destruction. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. We see the destruction around us and our systems, right? So another way to describe what I've been talking about, again, that's why, so for, for me as a spiritual alchemist, I'm looking at different ways to describe the same phenomena. And there's different language that hits for different people, but it's really describing the same thing. And then part of it's like, ah, now I'm getting it. Like now I have this epiphany, right? You can start to open up your eyes and mind to looking into new things, self-discovery, right? And really understanding how you fit into the equation of this grand design and your divine purpose. So going back to the non-ordinary states and the obstruction, we get trapped in a narrative. That narrative that we get trapped in does not or is there to control it, like the narrative's being controlled by a very few people. We play into the narrative and then we're unable because of that obstruction to rise above that narrative. We're, we're unable to see above it and our consciousness is not able to expand. And so we have a stifled consciousness. Now to expand our consciousness, we have to be able to say, well, what I don't know what I don't know and what does that look like? That means going into the abyss, going into the dark night of the soul, going into this the, the darkness. And that's what they did. That's what all of these individuals did. They allowed themselves that space to go into these non-ordinary states of consciousness, but some people are very afraid of. I don't believe humans are natural fit for this world compared to the rest of the living creatures. Yeah, we kind of don't naturally fit, huh? I, and I, I would kind of agree with that, uh, GP, because it seems as though we um, totally are self-destructive and we self-sabotage. 
you know, and, and was it supposed to be that way? No, but it seems as though we are alien to this world, right? We don't naturally fit. And I mean, there's all those theories too, that we aren't of this world, that we are, we're maybe genetically constructed from a hybrids, right? So there's people that believe that we are aliens, that aliens came and, you know, there's even myth stories, um, if you will. Well, the, and I don't even know if they're myths. These are actual um, texts that were translated, the cuneiform texts, right? Where they talked about how we were created um, and that we are actually not even human. Like a human, I mean, part of this world that we are partially alien mixed with, I don't know, other animals. <laughs> Maybe monkeys, right? Is what they would say. Um, but it is weird, and we are uh, we are different in a lot of ways, and we do destruct, and we are self sabotaging. And it's really strange because we too um, don't know how to love. But if we do actually look in nature, um, we do see there's this harmony, right, with everything around and. Um, one thing that they don't, even though these creatures do mourn their people, like elephants will mourn, they cry, they have to cry tears, you know, you see that these, these mothers who have these babies, they mourn if their, their baby die, but they, they move on in harmony, right? They don't, so it's like, or we do see that some of these, um, mothers, if there's too many in the pack, they will kill off one of their their kids like but they don't make they don't go to prison for doing that kind of stuff right they don't have this moral book of code of ethics and all this stuff it, it's almost like nature is actually pretty cruel out there when you look at it like i've saw like for instance wasps will go and take out an entire beehive and just decapitate all of them and just take them all out and not care right but there's nobody there saying oh we're gonna go take out the wasp because they took out the bees that doesn't work that way nature just flows that way there's no like right wrong good or bad i would say like we're not gonna put the 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 wasp in prison for taking out a beehive right but humans if somebody went and took out a bunch of humans oh you better believe that the person that's doing that is going to get, there's consequences, right, for it. So there's like this moral code that we have, right? And that's consciousness. And why? Well, because we're trying to learn what's right and wrong. We have this thing to say what's right and wrong. We say, we measure things, right? And I think Brandon was talking about that before. He, he didn't get on today. So it's okay. I'm not going to keep bugging him. He can come on if he wants. <laughs> but, you know, Talking about morality, yeah, that's a thing that humans do. It's not something nature does. Nature just ebbs and flows the way it's supposed to. Um, when we were taught, when we taught apes sign language, apes told Mother Nature and other animals don't like us humans. Yeah, I and it makes sense, right? Because we are self-sabotaging. We are destructive now. It's hard because not all humans, I don't think inherently were this way. Um, and I think that that goes back to just the programming of the trauma. And I think that people have the ability to transcend that story um, and that narrative, but it takes a lot of work. 
it's just not an easy path and you know very few people will um and you know the ones that do tend to be kind of loners they just tend to be hanging out by themselves mostly <laughs> um and it's because they're on a journey of healing and of course healing is a very intimate thing healing is not about people telling you what to do how to do it it's about you figuring out what works for you and how to heal yourself your internal conflictions nobody can do that internal work for you nobody no matter how much advice you get doesn't matter who said what or what what it's in you and so um but we can elicit some sort of healing through non-ordinary states of consciousness but we can't get there until we start to heal which is pretty interesting you it's harder well i would say this it's easier to hit non-ordinary states of consciousness when you are down in the dumps completely um and some people catch it if that makes sense uh katie byron byron katie byron katie i think that's her name anywho she hit rock bottom this is a woman and she wrote a book and, and I can't remember all of her works at this point, but her story is that she actually hit rock bottom. She had nothing left. And at the end of it, because of that, she elicited this new way of being in discovery. She surrendered to it eventually. And after she surrendered, she was able to see a whole new perspective. And sometimes we have to go through that. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. Okay. When we're saying spiritual awakening and people are glorifying the spiritual journey and this and that and the other. Yeah, you know what? You're healing trauma. It's not fun. It's not like it's this glorified journey. Um, what is glorified is going through it and what the gifts that you get when you go through it. But the process of going through it is spiritual alchemy, which is totally not comfortable. If you thought about a pot of stew when you have the ingredients and they're crisp and and all that and you put them into the pot and they boil well the boiling part is uncomfortable to get the delicious stew though it has to go through that process you have to boil you have to boil the vegetables well i don't know how those vegetables are feeling i don't know if they have fillings but potatoes cry when you fry them so i believe that they're probably hurting <laughs> I don't know. Um, perhaps. I mean, I felt the pain of a potato cooking it before. That's why when people are like, don't eat meat, I'm like, yeah, well, potatoes are living too. I mean, there's everything is living. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? But the transition between the two, right? And understanding. So we have to go through that pain in order to understand and we have to understand how to move through the process now everybody's different and some will some won't let's just say some will most won't because that's typically how it goes most people would numb themselves out right they numb themselves out so they don't have to go through the experience because it's not fun it's not the best experience in the world um so, but non-ordinary states of consciousness, when we are able to get through the trauma and we can elicit non-ordinary states, you don't need drugs to do that. You don't need our psychedelics to do that. I should say not drugs, but psychedelics, like shrooms and all that you can. Um, but I feel 
that those experiences are fleeting when you are able to tap into non-ordinary states of consciousness through perhaps meditation or dancing or drumming or all of these other ways that you can actually step into that space, um, I think that the it lasts longer for you. So, and you're able to transition in and out of those states a lot quicker um, than, you know, using, you know, ayahuasca or shrooms or whatever it is. So that's what they did in the past. They were able, that's why they did drumming ceremonies. That's what they were doing. And, and the shamanic, the Avenki, the, um, the shaman actually in Siberia, right? That's what they did. They would go into these states and they would, they would actually talk to other spirits is what they would do. <laughs> they would talk to these, these spirits and then they would come back with some sort of a healing. Like, here's what I learned about the healing. Um, some people go into these states like me, um, for, for my journey, when I go into these states, um, non-ordinary states, I come back usually with sacred geometry and, and how it operates within time or how it operates within the macrocosm and microcosm and how the two bridge together. That's my alchemy. And I think Brandon said that last time, like, I'm not going to share my philosophy because I don't want to be locked into one thing. And that's the way I am. But I have my own spiritual alchemy. I have my own way of understanding the universe and the world with these sacred symbols and how it might operate and then how we can shape the narrative around that. But, and that's how I live my life. But that's not necessarily the same for everybody because again, in the grand scheme of things, um, there's so much that we're too tiny to understand it all. So maybe we get pieces of the puzzle and those pieces are supposed to fit for us, for our divine purpose. And we use those pieces to help other individuals find their pieces. Doesn't necessarily mean my piece is going to fit yours, right? Does it maybe work that way? You know, in the grand scheme of things, we all interconnect, but maybe my piece is on the other side of the web and yours is way on the other side doesn't mean that we're not still connected. So I think that's what we do. Journey together to try to fit the pieces of the puzzle by eliciting non-ordinary states of consciousness. And we do that by releasing the trauma and the obstruction within the psyche, because that is where we're holding the obstruction. Um, our mind is telling us things that aren't true, right? You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You don't matter. All these things that um, don't trust yourself, you know, all of these things that we have to overcome in order to move forward into our divine purpose, because that's what it's about, right? Moving into divine purpose. What does that mean? You know, what kind of legacy is it that you're leaving? What is your legacy? You know, um, I have my legacy, right? My legacy is to leave a legacy of wisdom. That's my legacy. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here how that is described and expressed. Well, wisdom comes with experience. So I get to experience these states of being and I get to share them, right? Now, that is my divine purpose. And in sharing them, hopefully, what it does is it helps to support others in remembering their divine purpose or at least allowing them to look into a journey to help them get where they need to go for their divine purpose.
but I can't give it to you. No one can. It's about self-trust and understanding internal. Okay. And then once you do, and you're able to reach these places and spaces of, of these non-ordinary states, you bring back a new wisdom, a new way of understanding, a new perspective, and perhaps a new worldview of how things operate. Okay. Perfect. So there you have it. Um, nice Tuesday morning. Um, no Brandon showing up. <laughs> which is fine. So we'll just keep it at the course, the 30 minutes that I typically do, because that's, I feel like that's perfect. Um, and then I will be on tomorrow. So thank you guys for showing up. Lots of love and light. Um, and of course I will continue to share, um, what I'm learning in this course of non-ordinary states of consciousness. Cool thing, um, before I go, that is coming up is, um, that I'm excited to learn about or dive deeper into is clairvoyance because um, I believe that I'm clairvoyant. Um, and and so this is when the obstructions not there were able to reach these states of understanding and and you know perhaps even clear it up more so that I'm able to use that gift of clairvoyance. And so everybody has their own sort of gift, right? Um, and and understanding. So kind of cool. So there you have it. I love you guys so, 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 so much. Have a fantastical day. And of course, I will be with you tomorrow. Bye-bye.